do 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 first start in the morning good morning all you sleepy heads sleepy heads out in the world welcome to the books in bed podcast episode three we're picking up where we left off on our books no i got a new book oh <laughs> <laughs> Psych. Uh, throwing you through the loop. Wait, uh, I think that we should always uh, introduce kind of what this is. We are in bed. Right we now. We have finished reading for 30 minutes after waking up, although that's kind of a lie because Jake got up and did a bunch of things before this, but I am just freshly woken up. <laughs> um. No, that's also a lie, too, because it takes a lot of time to put this equipment together. So we're just starting off lying on this episode, but but I'm telling the truth now. If your level of suspicion isn't at high alert, then I'm suspicious of you. Uh, so this podcast, uh, born from the brain of both of us, is a love of reading, uh, a love of investigation conversation breaking things down finding out how it associates and relates to things that we already know and and life and understand and how that changes our understanding of other things and uh just new new experiences from from said reading does that make it more com it, that made it very confusing oh no, I, I think that was lovely okay. <laughs> So it's a lot of things. It this is. podcast is a lot of things. Yeah, and it's kind of, I like that it's just go with the flow and see what happens. And so far it has worked out. I know maybe one day it won't, but we're just going to keep on keeping on. Well, the way in which it won't work out will just be a new way that it works. Oh, shit! Because we don't, we don't hold it to... A standard it's not a little precious baby it's literally just our conversations that we have yeah um every day which is funny because whenever we talk about the books we're reading when the podcast isn't recording i'm like save it for the podcast that is seriously we've had some really good conversations this week but i'm i hope that they uh it translates here again i'm sure it will well i can go ahead and start off with um, the conclusion and also the introduction of your book of which my is, book remind the people what you're reading i'm reading the theory of the leisure class by thorstein Eplin. the way you say it i say it very carefully I, I know but the way you say it, it doesn't sound like when i look at it oh it doesn't look it looks like thor stein Beblin. The, the, but you're, it's a V. Yeah, Veblen. I don't know why when you pronounce it, it doesn't sound like a V, but it doesn't sound like a B either. But it's like somewhere in between. It's like a THB, like Thevblen. I don't know. Anyway, but it's V. It starts oh with a God, V. So hard. Uh, Silent laughing. Okay. Um, you have to, when you have to announce I, that you're laughing. <laughs> because I'm, you know, I'm trying to let you go on. Mm -hmm. Go on the little horse and pony show. The tangent of Veblen. Yeah. So he's a 19th century economist, sociologist, professor. He, I mean, all the studies that could be done, he did them. He learned the things that could be learned. Well, you know, in 1800s, what could you really possibly learn? There was not so that much, much, so much classical material to digest. Um, although economics was, you know, just a nubile baby. It was the study of how man interacted with trade and whatnot, and supply and demand. You know, these were interesting things that were being unraveled, and now they're so deeply ingrained to everything that we do we don't always think about our behavior and how that 
interacts on a global scale. An yeah. intergalactic. No. <laughs> anyway, he was think he was looking at things from a very uh class perspective. So the theory of the leisure class investigates what are the standards and and attributes and things that are held true uh, about the leisure class. Who are they? What do they do? Why do they, where did they originate from? And he says it so eloquently. What were you going to say? I was just wondering, like, what is the percentage of the leisure class in his time comparatively to now? That's That's interesting. Yeah. So the, so what I was talking about, I'm going to, the conclusion, but also the introduction. I started this book when I was going to community college Many some ago. decade ago and I read, I'd say it took you uh, 10 years to read this book. <laughs> it's dance. I read roughly a third and then I finished the last two thirds in, in the time of the uh, starting this podcast. The introduction makes a great distinction between the leisure class and otherwise, which is, in the evolution of class designation in barbaric societies, groups, uh, which, you know, at the time they called, you know, savage, but also barbaric indicated like a primitive, a primitive form of what our society is today. So just like the behaviors of man humankind the 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 great distinction between leisure class and otherwise is labor that is of exploit and of drudgery so using people's resources as your means of employment versus physical labor like crafting brute material making something new hands-on that's that's the the great distinction and that originates essentially from tribes where the men hunted but then women had to retrieve what they hunted mm. uh they exerted themselves through their prowess of force and aggression and inflicting and so that's the that's the the early origination of class distinction. Exploit and drudgery. So that's ultimately where you would be separated in are you leisure class or are you subservient to? Mm-hmm. Now that evolves. So interesting, like who was the first man to like be like, I'm not gonna be it was someone who had who who was of a certain mass and psychological aggression that ultimately decided that they could use their their massiveness and their their force to say you will do this for me mm. and as soon as someone said yes i will do this for you then that's when the delineation grew and I and I think just over time that's morphed into what we have today in society, which is all the ways in which leisure class can assert their their prowess on those who are subservient to. This makes me think of, um, and I don't know if it's because I'm also staring at this picture of the desert. We have a picture of the desert, like orange mountains, but. Um, the show Westworld where the mm-hmm. leisure class are have this ability to be put into more savage times or whatever, you know what I mean? Where they can do whatever they, they can have power over all these different dynamics. It's like the ultimate, like it's it, the ultimate it, unveiling of what society actually is. Mm-hmm. But, but by being removed because you're actually not, you can kill, you can commit crimes, fraud, exploit. Uh-huh. And the thing that... 
And only the rich can do it. And only those of that status can do it. Mm -hmm. That is true of today. Yeah, I know. I mean, our president, prior president, literally bragged about the fact that he could shoot someone in the middle of the street and he'd walk away free. Mm. Now, you might be like, oh, he's joking. He was serious. Yeah. And he wasn't wrong. Yeah. And the reason is money and status separate you, insulate you, protect you in our in our society. But Thorstein, he is from 1890, you know, like this book was written in 1899. And even in the foreword, uh, I don't remember who wrote it, Stuart something, Chase, who I, I, I'm not familiar with his work, mm-hmm. but he uh, he wrote the foreword. He's talking about how the things that Velbin wrote about, like, predicted the economy to come. And now in 2021... You know, 122 years after this has been written, it's played out exactly as he writes. In terms of we have a massive separation between class and everyone acknowledges this difference in status consciously or unconsciously. Mm -hmm. If you do physical work or if you do work of exploit where others are working for you, under you you're you're using others energies to your gain then you are then you are uh positioned at a a place of authority in one's mind so much as having money and conspicuously spending it is a sign that you are in that class you are above others and that's one of the things he talks about is so in this, in the evolution of leisure class, in barbarian cultures of more primitive societies than what we have today, and primitive is used loosely because he views the evolution of the, of the leisure class as actually a um, reversion to predatory behaviors. Mm that are heightened in this barbaric society, Mm. the distinction of class and how that distinction has grown extraordinarily over time to the point where it's so deeply ingrained in our, our like social activity Mm. that we don't, we don't recognize, we don't recognize the specific details anymore. We just acknowledge that someone is of a higher class. Do you think um, that's changing? No, absolutely not. I think, in fact, what's happening is people who think they're being counterculture, who are being, like, anti... I just, I guess my thought is, like, people are more, are demanding more of, let's say, corporations or CEOs or whatever like that. Like, so there is a... Because there is like the distinct not, 99 versus 1%. Right. Like it shouldn't be that way. And I feel like some people are waking up to that and trying to fight back. And I, obviously people always have always tried to fight against it. But it's a, it's a hard wall to get through. I think the – so the, the, the actual conclusion that I see that he points to is without – uh, without a peaceable society free from predatory exploit, we're, we're always going to have war. We're going to have class. We're going to have this conspicuous waste because it is necessary of a leisure class to spend and waste in a way that others can see it for others to see because it's how you signify that you're of a position to do that so ultimately the conclusion is as as long as these predatory methods 
and attitudes prevail in our society, we are going to continue to have the exact same outcome and worse. Because there is going to be more war, there's going to be more honorable ob observances in terms of the, those who have these these badges of education that doesn't have any application to benefiting society are just like look at all these things that i've studied that don't actually pertain to mm -hmm. anything useful i remember um i don't remember when i learned this but it was pretty young um that all the like princes in england they all studied uh, art history because I was interested in art. I don't remember why I learned this, but it always was like, oh, that's not a working class study like that. Like the only thing that does is that you can walk into a room and like comment on something that's on the wall. Exactly. Being able to reference archaic facts and dead information is viewed as extraordinarily leisure class because not only do you have the time and the resources to learn this thing it is something of no value in the field of employment in the in the in the employment of uh physical labor so it's like i have the money and i have the time to waste to learn these things that ultimately provide no economic value and the funny thing the hypocritical thing about studying art history and being an artist like being an artist is looked at like kind of low it's i mean lowbrow like it's in terms of class it's essentially the bottom starving artist right and but all those all those artists that the art history majors study were of that but because they got famous or whatever after they were exploited. after they were exploited or died or yeah so exploited after death um i mean but, that's like but knowing their history is a highbrow thing in society but looking down upon like you're wasting your time being an artist and it's it's physical labor most of the time too to be an artist and mental labor labor it's just so ironic that that is yeah he he goes through every almost every facet of society and gives reference to where the separation originates and how it's transformed today in his day in in 1899 and the comparison to today in 2021 is so alarmingly similar and even what he predicts would be the outcome of this followed further through time mm. is exactly what he thought i'm trying to think in terms of what where things diverge from what he has predicted and it's difficult to to see it because i guess he believed that over time, the the possibility that these predatory traits would fall off as a result of community being viewed as the only way forward. But there, I can't remember if there was a period of time in the 20s, 30s or something where self, the idea of self was very heavily promoted as like get yours mm. instead of better your community mm -hmm. and even today uh in the in the like family structure there's no like the idea of a free ride is like you being provided shelter and food and clothing you owe me for this mm. like i brought you into this world but you owe me for this mm -hmm. which just seems so against the idea of we're in this together yeah bringing like no one 
asks to be brought into this world. And yet we come in and then there's the imposition of these are the, the social standards of how to act. And those are ultimately things imposed by the leisure class so that people that aren't of the leisure class are fighting to uh, emulate these things that will make other people that are also poor like me think that maybe I'm less poor than they are. And then I'll be one step up on the totem pole. Class and status are enormous features of the leisure class because it's, it's so important that it is seen and it is recognized that I don't do physical. Mm-hmm. I don't exert myself physically for a means of life. Yeah, and the benefit of those things is just self-involved. You know, like it's just selfish to have class and to have a class system. It's only about per- perception, and but there's no other reasoning in i guess like in like if you think about life cycle of animals there is like a bigger eat smaller and that is how the life cycle goes on talking Uh, about the food chain yeah the food chain (laughs) of like the the dominant predator how all that works in harmony to like keep the ecosystem ecosystem so that's kind of like this yet well, obviously we're not eating each other it's the it's the mentality of survival of the fittest taken to the most extreme like literal interpretation but none of these people are the fittest they're the no that and that's the that's kind of the irony is mm-hmm. um how do we outsmart how, the fittest it's like how do i consume and uh, not do anything. I remember I knew someone who believed in aliens. Legit have stories that they were abducted and stuff. But they said why aliens are depicted with big heads and tiny feeble bodies is because they don't need labor because they're just so powerful with their minds that they control everything with it. Basically, they've built systems that their bodies don't need to be used. It actually makes sense that they're depicted that way. Yeah. Because you perceive them as a higher being uh above you. Uh Uh-huh. This guy that I know that says he's abducted by aliens, he believed that they liked uh, uh, Earth beings, humans, because we were strong. So they were coming back to um, learn from like to rebuild their strength because they have lost it which is so (laughs) that is always that's always it's funny but like it's also like okay it almost seems like all right yeah yeah i mean and it all comes it always comes back around where you know uh just like i feel like now now diy culture do-it-yourself culture is like coming back into the zeitgeist of things it's like uh, that's how, like, there was only that culture. It was only do it yourself. You had to farm for yourself. You had to make your, you know, furniture. You had to, or, or like someone in your community did it. You know, like each person had a share in those things. And then when we got mass production from other countries with low labor pay, then of course we're going to switch to that mentality. And then that was like the way to be. Um, because somebody else was doing it for you and you could focus on all these other things. But And now we're like, oh, it act- there is a um, benefit to knowing how to do stuff for yourself again. Because we've trashed the environment. We've <laughs> learned to be useless. Oh, and that's the, su- the sweet irony is in, in the realm of conservatism, it- it's commonplace to mock our generation for not knowing how to do things when the leisure classes touted for not knowing how to do like for not doing things yeah. because they can afford to not do things yeah so 
it's one of those things where today we have two people doing the exact same thing, but if you're rich, then it's looked at as a badge of honor. And if you're poor, it's looked at, well, that's why you're poor. You're the, the victim. There's no, there's no sympathy for that circumstance. And the, the person who exploits. Well, it's like, I was, I was born pr like with this privilege and that's just how it is, but you were born poor and that's just how it is. And there's no sympathy behind changing either of those. No. And and it's a uh, rags to riches story if you get out, like you're unique, a outlier if you get out of whatever it is from poor to rich, but from rich to poor, it's just like, oh, they fall on hard times. Oh, they, they spent all their money on this and that, but we still like them. There's not much uh, inherent bias against that outcome falling from the top to the top still yeah in in the remainder of the book he goes into higher education and in and like at first i was like oh he's talking about college and he's actually talking about higher as in devout as in religious learning as in weed higher <laughs> Smoking that gun. Not that kind of higher. So he talks about higher education and how it's reserved for those who can afford it, but also those who are studied in it do not do menial labor and that there are people who do the labor under them. And the higher you climb in the ranks, you're... Life is, uh, you're living your life through the higher power that you, mm. and you're, and you're above others. Right. Because you, you know, these very obscure and unknowable things that others, uh, that others don't know. And so in your mind, well, I'm better than you because I know these things that are obscure and you don't even know about these classical things or these ancient rituals and that's why we started this podcast because we are to expose no we're oh, we are ourselves to expose ourselves to all of you know because we are learning through reading with ourselves but we want to share that with others yeah it's not like we're holding it in and being like well i know this thing and you don't know it and i'm not going to explain it to you not that we always do the best at explaining things but it's just to start a conversation instead of it being a well i read books so i'm better than you i like i've never felt that way i i read books because i i like to keep learning and also offer tools to people when they're struggling with something and i'm like oh have you read this book if not, listen to it. Or here are some of the bullet points of it if you don't want to read it. Like, you don't have to read it. But I want you to know that there's resources out there that can help you with these things. Absolutely. I mean, in the eyes of Thorstein, like, spending time to learn and, and study for no social, like, benefit is very leisure class, very of a status of, of privilege. And so here we are, you know, it was something that I all like, I thought like, that's the thing to attain is a lifestyle where I can just learn, mm -hmm. just continue to learn and, and understand things and but to be able the to reality and world and how people operate in it and but to be able myself. to apply that to you and others and absolutely to everything you do instead of just having like oh i can memorize this thing exactly i do love the application mm -hmm. so i look for how things associate but then how can i actually apply them to be useful um like in in this deeper understanding of 
class separation, uh, predatory behavior, and how it expresses itself in our economy and society, how to identify those things, call them out, and, you know, point to the consequences of them does feel like, okay, this could be beneficial. So do you have a generally, call, call to action? Generally, in any instance in which exploitation is occurring, looking at that and asking, is this necessary? Mm. And is someone being harmed at, at, at the result of this? Am I doing this for status? Am I doing this for self? Am I tricking myself mm. into thinking this is actually for the betterment when there's something else you could be doing to better your community, to better yourself that isn't detrimental to others? Yeah. Do you have a word of the day? Salient. Salient. Spell it for me. S-A-L-I-E-N-T. Um, salient. Why do all these words sound like science class? Like, to me, they sound like salient. It sounds like solvent. Have you, have you heard of the... It, it kind of does. It sounds like a solution. Solution, yeah. Um, or saline. So salty. A salty solution. That's my guess. A salty right. solution. Have you heard someone say salient features? You have salient features. No, but or, I okay. If you so you're talking about not to you, but just like <laughs> oh, is it a negative <laughs> thing? Uh -oh. It means um, like um, let me guess based off of that. You have a sale. I feel like it's like non-threatening or something like. It means predominant. Mm, that's the opposite. Um, protruding. Oh. Prominent. Okay, so people have told you that because you have <laughs> protruding. So when he's talking eyebrows. about the leisure class and he uses the word salient, he's talking about the protruding thing about the leisure class. So what is like noticeable? What mm. is like in your face? Okay. Protrude. Yes. What's what's the uh, protruding or prominent feature of the leisure class? Salient. And it's predatory behavior mm. in all the ways that it can be expressed. Exerting force and exploit and prowess without doing labor. That's considered reserved for a lower class. Oh, uh, one of the big distinctions is worthy and unworthy. Mm. So yeah. even in our society, I'm sure you can think of things that people have either either imposed as worthy or unworthy or people who have made you feel unworthy or people who have made you feel worthy and in regard to how they perceived you. Mm. Like the customer-employee relationships? Like how a customer treats yes. people that have what they think is low jobs um are like could be rude or talked down to exactly yeah. and and they feel justified yeah and they feel like i'm everyone is in the right place yeah and but i can treat you like this because you are in that place that way exactly and that is a feature of class and status which are rooted in this barbaric way of living and thinking i think can i steal a call to action from steal <laughs> like a good um exploit me <laughs> uh piggyback off of you and take credit for it would be to consider in the ways where you f where you fit in to a class distinction and where how you treat somebody differently mm. from each class like just in your everyday like one day, I mean, it's hard with the pandemic because we're not having as many interactions, but just take what, like, today, ha just observe how you um, carry yourself through different places. Yes. That, w that actually was another thought of mine, which was strip yourself of status and class. Strip others of status and class. What? Don't strip anybody without their permission, consent. And 
treat everyone in the best way that you want to treat yourself and be treated. See, though, that is taught in school. The golden rule. Treat others the way you want to be treated. That's taught to us. Why? But why is it so hard to The reason those? it gets muddied is because you then start to realize that you're of a class or status and that you don't have to treat people lower than you the same as you because they are not you. And it's easy for a teacher to tell us, to tell children this because children won't fight back and be like, you're not treating me that way though because I'm a child and I don't know anything. So I'm just going to believe everything you say. <laughs> exactly. We're all children. We are just large children. And the one percent is... are our teachers and it's the wrong class. That yeah. They're teaching. Yeah. We need to stop emulating these features of the leisure class because they are extremely detrimental our society, our environment, our economy. These are the features of the leisure class played out over hundreds of years. Hello. Here we are. This isn't the result of what the Democratic Party did last year or the Republicans did last year. This is generations upon generations of conservatism and devout observances and higher learning and predatory behavior played out. It feels like you're waking up in this world and the cause and effect of today is so detached from yesteryear. But there is a very clear cause and effect that has played out over hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. Here we are wild anyway i've uh, well i've I, occupied enough space here. i'm glad that this is the book that we are talking about but i am happy to see what book you pick next <laughs> the thing is like class and status you know when people talk about like here i am going on more <laughs> like you know we're we're all in the same storm but we're not in the same boat and COVID has emphasized the, the observations of Thorstein Veblen so much greater. Like, mm. before, you know, maybe people felt like, ah, oh, you'd have to look through a microscope to see these differences in class. And, like, there's not really these a giant gap of wealth. There's no wealth gap, you know. There's a clear... You know, boop, 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 from like the bottom to the top. No, it's like there's poor, there's like extreme poverty, and then there's like poor, and then there's like a lower class, and then there's the extreme wealthy. Like, if you have to work a job to make it by, you are not of the elite class. The separation is enormous. You know, it's from making hundreds of thousands, making a hundred thousand to like millions. Mm. Billion. Anyway, anyway One COVID. million dollars. COVID has just shown that there's people that can survive a storm and there's people that can't. Mm. And the people that can't is most of the world. Well, except for countries that take care of their citizens. Anyway, you're reading a book called Happier. <laughs> Is this a sign? I'm trying to be happier. Oh, my God. I'm trying to learn all the things to make me happier. So, yes, I'm reading a book called Happier by Tal Ben-Shahar, Ph.D. Hopefully that's how you pronounce his name. Um, learn the secrets to daily joy and lasting fulfillment. And I think he taught a class in Harvard about how to be happy and it's like one of the most popular class in harvard and he is grounded in the revolutionary which is interesting terminology uh, positive psychology movement hmm. so 
I'm just going to do a small little background to what, like, why he became interested in this idea of positive psychology. And also, um, there, I'm at a part in the book. I like, I've read this book really fast. I've consumed it pretty quickly. I'm almost done within a week of reading it. And um, the part that I'm on is so tied into what you're talking about. So I feel like it's just, we could just go there. But so he's from Israel and he was training to be a squash champion, I think. And um, sports are a big feature of the leisure class. And and he uh, uh, was on the route to be like the, a champion basically like on the route to be an Olympian, but I don't know if squash is in the Olympics, but um, he had this big championship come up. And I don't really know the dynamics of squash. Is it a team sport or is it a singular sport? I'm pretty sure it's a pumpkin. (laughs) Anyway, um, he was, you know, 17 years old, I think. And on this trajectory to being like, really successful at something and he's trained really hard all of his life for it and but he has always had like a sadness and he thought that if he worked towards this goal once he achieved the goal then happiness and all the things that would have like fulfillment would come after and so he just put his head down and worked at this goal and when he got the goal he didn't feel what he thought he was going to feel and actually he felt worse because he didn't have a goal anymore to work towards because it was the difference between what people had been telling him what we are often told it will be our reality once we achieve this very worthy esteemed thing versus what it actually feels like when you're the person that achieves it yeah so he why am I not being paraded around and celebrated as the greatest thing of? Oh, well, maybe he was being that, but that wasn't fulfilling. But inside, him. yeah, feeling lousy on top of I'm supposed mm-hmm. to be feeling good is like. So he was very introspective and was like wondering why he was feeling those ways, and started studying happiness, basically, like what does it mean, how to achieve it when it comes to goals. Mm. When you say, oh, breaking down your goals in a why question. So your goal is, I want to make a million dollars. Right. Why? Because then I'll have a million dollars. Why? Uh, you know, so so that I can, like, get a house and and a really nice car and then I won't have to work. Why do you want a house? Well, I need to live somewhere, you know, but it, it's got to be of a, it's got to have like a lot of space and stuff for all my things. Why? Well, I mean, I got to have the things because. So he goes yeah. down, he breaks down, like, what is your goal that has the least amount of. Why? I want to be happy. Yeah. So why do you want to be happy? Feels good. Well, society tells us that that's the ultimate achievement to life. Ah, yeah, yeah. You're you're fully actualized because yeah. now you you're happy. all the other things revolve around happy? happiness. You Is think... happiness a fucking lie? <laughs> I kind of felt like that's where he was going with this, but I, I and don't. Instead, he like drove deeper into no, 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 no. Yeah. You do want to achieve happiness. That is your ultimate goal. Hey, everyone, is happiness your ultimate goal? Well, I think it's um. You have to start considering what it is that you're striving for and then planning your activities around that. Because he does say, like, there is too much of a good thing. Like, if you only did, we had this discussion the other day, if you only did the thing you wanted to do. If you only did sex. All the time. Right. Every day, Mm -hmm. you'd start to get tired of it. Wouldn't it be special? Boring. Um, You'd actually might start getting depressed about it. So it's like Mm. you... You don't want to do all of the pleasurable things all the time because they want to be pleasurable anymore. So you do want to do work. You become desensitized. Work is part of happiness. But you, you, and this is where it ties into my book that I just read 
on the first two episodes of When, the study of timing, this book talks about, like, yes, you need to learn when is the good times to do all the things to feel fulfilled. So, like, you get um, enjoyment out of working, but only for a certain, like, how much time in a day do you work that you feel fulfilled and productive and, like, because I know if I don't get um, work done in a day since we work from home, it's kind of more on on your own leisure time <laughs> um, to find at where, your leisure. where work happens. And if I, at the end of the day, haven't gotten much done, I, I don't feel like a failure, but I definitely feel less good about how the day is closing, like knowing that scheduling time to work should relieve that feeling at the end of the day like i haven't gotten much done because that gives me fulfillment Mm -hmm. um why (laughs) because i like to see results from my work and the only way that i can do that is to do the work like it's fulfilling when we sell things that we just listed or that you know have been sitting for a while and um to actualize a production to results you're hired (laughs) um and this has been books in bed what i'm just kidding you cutting me off (laughs) no not at all um so oh another question a good question he has in this book is somebody was talking about how they got a job offer at a law they're a lawyer they got a job offer at a law firm but the law firm wasn't something that they were passionate about and but it's good pay so should i should i take it and um what will that be what how will that make me feel will that make me feel happy because i got the money or will that make me feel bad because i'm not fulfilled with the kind of work i'm doing i feel like that's really it's a it's a funny dynamic because I feel like there's so many people that are like, not only am I not getting the job offer that is paying me excessively, but it's also not the job that I want. Right. That goes back to my million dollar, $10 million question. Would you stay at a job that you didn't like for $10 million? And a lot of people say no. And they so stay that, at the job for $1,000. But yeah, it's such an interesting question about jobs because we all need them technically and to we think we do (laughs) we think we need jobs this woman who got the job offer asked at what point in life what age she should stop thinking about the future and start being happy um and he said he didn't accept that question so instead of saying should i be happy now or in the future you should say how can i be happy now and in the future so that that um that was kind of like one of my uh, my calls to action is how can you be happy now and also in the future? Because we all we always are like, oh, I'm going to feel better six months from now when I start my workout journey. Then or I'm when I see now. the results. Yeah. Or you know, when I see the results. And the truth is, like, you don't that doesn't make you feel better if you if you haven't worked on the what, what is the reason why you don't feel good? Now it's not just the way you look, but it's the way you feel. Identifying the right activity and then the right quantity for each activity leads to the highest quality of life. So that is like um, going back to tying back into the other books. Identifying what's the right activity and for like how long to do that activity is actually how you get the most out of life. So if you value traveling... Obviously, just sitting and and thinking about traveling isn't going to fulfill that goal. But, like, what is an actual amount of traveling? Like, you don't want to travel 20, 365 days. Like, that would be exhausting. And, and you have... Everything's about experimentation. Like, if you just sit back and don't do anything, which a lot of people do out of fear, Sometimes you even fear that doing the thing is not going to solve the problem. Do people have that fear, though? 
I feel like apathy in a lot of regards involves people not wanting to pursue their goal because they feel like, well, am I going to be, am, am I even going to be happy then? Hmm. I don't, I f- or, or it's kind of self-sabotage being like, mm-hmm. I know that's not going to change anything. So why even try? Yeah, there's, yeah. Um, but I guess that's kind of what this book is teaching you is that it's like those things aren't going to change anything. Those things aren't going to change anything. True. It's your attitude and your um, how you spend your time when you're not doing those things. It's like you not taking the journey Yeah. is is why you're unhappy. And wherever you end up is also irrelevant and isn't going to change how you feel. So take the journey. Who cares where you end up? Because you're going to have a blast. You know, you still have to eat, sleep, poop. Right. So one thing that is what I really appreciate about this book, because a lot of these self-helpy, how to be happy, how to be successful books don't really take into account people who are less privileged than the average. And maybe that's because he's a immigrant that he incorporates these ideas of like, I know he's like acknowledging that um, based off of where you live at the time that you live, poverty, political things, you might not be able to achieve these things or use these tools right now, which Mm. I think is so important to distinguish because some of these books are just like, just do this can fall on deaf deaf ears well not not only can just but give um like this illusion that anyone can do mm-hmm. it which is true in your like anyone can change their thinking which is a powerful device but you can't always change your circumstances it's hard to do it from a south <laughs> yeah and he also uses she and he interchangeably which i think is really important in books because it used to only be he when they used examples like he wanted to be president. There's a point where he was like use an example. She wanted to be president. And I think this was written like 10 years ago. So I just appreciate if you appreciate those kinds of things like it shouldn't I shouldn't read a book and feel like, wow, that's revolutionary that he's saying she <laughs> instead of he when he's giving examples for things. So just like based off of those things, like right off the bat i was like i was invested in this book where where i am now where it relates to what you're talking about Mm -hmm. is like listen to the titles of these chapters the underprivilege of privilege so this is like he was talking about kind of being bored because you have everything given to you that um happiness is not um poor and rich have equal amount of unhappiness like it's not a it's not a class the delineation and um what how class does interfere is that the the illusion that once you become part of this upper class you'll be happy you're granted happiness but how many you can afford to be happy how many people who are up there have killed themselves have depression have anxiety have like more money, more problems. Exactly. It's like you have the resources to be happy and yet you you aren't. So that is actually in your mind more depressing than if I was poor. Well, if I was poor, then I'd have a reason. The reason is deeper than your financial situation. Although if you are underprivileged, it presents hurdles. And then he goes into prejudice against work. Which is what? The perception of you're doing work that is worthy, you're doing work that is unworthy. So if I'm doing work that is unworthy, then what does that say about me? And, well, obviously I can't feel good about myself because here I am doing menial labor. Yeah, and just that um, there's a distinction between work and play. And I and like we are someone who believes those things should be intertwined. Those should be one. Yeah, you should definitely play while you work. And work while you play. And yeah. Like I take enjoyment out of being outside in the garden and 
mowing the lawn and it is hard I mean this new our new house the lawn is hard labor but like there's so much I get so much fulfillment out of doing that which something that is deemed work but I experience like it's play I'm, and I'm also getting some vitamin D and well if it's sunny here in Portland but I thought this was interesting um, Adam and Eve lived the quintessential life of leisure they did not work they did not plan for the future yet when they ate the forbidden fruit they were banished from the garden of Eden and they and their descendants were condemned to lives of hard work the notion of hard work as punishment has become so embedded in our culture that we tend to depict heaven, the ideal place in which we would have an ideal life, as devo devoid of every hardship, including work. As it turns out, though, here on Earth, we do we do need work to be happy. That's just Definitely bringing it, in. yeah, bringing it all together in how we can find happiness in a society where we have to work. And it's, I don't think it's like tricking, well, it is kind of a little bit like tricking your brain to, to understand what work is and how it benefits you and the world. But you have to detach that above you is some place that you're climbing to where those things don't exist. And that the ultimate goal is to live in a world, like the ultimate goal is retirement or heaven where everything is given to you and you get mansions. Like, it, it's so ingrained from the beginning of time, based off of if you believe in religion or Christianity, but probably in other cultures too, that you'll get everything you ever wanted. Once you die. Once you die. But the thing is... When if you've lived a good life vicariously in service of the commandments or a worthy life, mm -hmm. are you worthy of heaven on earth? What's so interesting is if you do all those things in the real world, you, you get everything you ever wanted, you still aren't happy. So why is that even a... Why isn't the goal just to be happy with the things you got instead of being happy for the things you will have in the future? Keep you chasing. But like, why? But why? Otherwise, the system doesn't work. The system's bullshit. That it is. That it is. So yeah, that's where I'm at right now in this book. And I really enjoy this book. It's all tying together to everything we're talking about right now and everything I'm considering um, about how you spend your time all day. And, like, I definitely get caught up in feeling stressed about this or that. And, like, the amount of time that you spend feeling that way and not doing these other things that you have assigned to feeling good these kinds of books just give you the tools to remember like oh yeah let me just do this thing let me go for a walk let me talk to the horse next door let me uh mow the grass let me do some work let me cook a meal let me stretch what gives you the most enjoyment and so, like yes you have to do things that don't give you enjoyment but if you balance your day you should live a fulfilling life. I think there's also a big thing about, you know, like I'm not supposed to feel this way. Happy or bad? Bad. Oh. Well, I think there is also a, I'm not. There's like a, there's a stigma about feeling anything other than happiness and expressing that. Well, there's also or a stigma that. about feeling happiness, too. Like, how can you feel happy when right. so much is wrong with the exactly. world? It's like there's a stigma towards feeling feelings <laughs> on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And it's like we are feeling things. It's how we interact. Mm -hmm. We interpret through feeling. And the leisure class has feelings, too. And that's like a part of this whole thing. It's like, well, that's the dangerous thing is to be in the leisure class. You are at, you're supposed to you're like above human existence. 
So you're not supposed to feel, you're not supposed to work, you're not supposed to engage in things that would harm your reputation or give any kind of nod to a lower class. Mm-hmm. So you're you're supposed to do all these things and and be wasteful and not productive. And that is supposed to maintain you in your in your class and your status. That sounds shitty. Mm-hmm. And it's all like tied into like family and your name. And I think your heritage, it's like easy for someone like me. I don't have association with my name. I don't have association with like, I live somewhere where I don't have family. And so there's no like reflection of who I am to shaming your name. Yeah. And I guess like, I think things are changing. Like, uh, the prince in England moving out and basically stepping down because he's like, I'm going to do what I want to do. And I don't really care that my name means something to other people. I mean, for God's sake, he was in a pair of khakis. (laughs) And I think they were Calvin Klein. I mean, that's those are like forty dollars. He married an American half black woman. Like that is. Yeah. Like unacceptable. Yeah, and to be like, no, your money and your status isn't enough for me to to follow, to take these risks of following my heart, following the things that I find pleasurable, just because I'm scared of losing that. And what's cute is he's going to be fine. Right. Like, and he can take those risks. Yeah. I Well, I think everyone should take but risks. It, but it's, it's still a something that i guess is important to recognize which is that he's he's leaving a situation of ultimate security financially and he's challenging that that institution in a way he'll be assassinated i mean his mom was i mean this isn't a conspiracy podcast no it's not and and maybe he won't be, and maybe, maybe he'll our next his... book will be about conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, they live happily ever after. That is my hope. Happily, happier ever after. Ever after, happier ever after. Yeah, I kind of, I do kind of think like um, the pressure of happiness. Maybe he'll get into this because um, he is. He has broken down like there's like four different kinds of people the rat racer so someone who's just in the wheel bro that's everyone yeah i that's most people the nihilist so the person that's like f everything yeah destroy yeah um and it's all about future and present so what Mm. what do you i'm gonna say that the one of the other ones are the the hippie uh, I don't think it's quite hippie. The carefree. Hedonism, I feel like it was. Oh, one. hedonism. Yeah. So just pleasure seeking is the the driving force. Mm-hmm. So you just do things that feel good. Nothing wrong with that. Oh, and then happiness. Oh, okay. Someone who benefit for the future and the present are aligned. Aligned. Got it. So you are in the present moment. Content. What's funny is he equates it to uh, burgers. So the rat race is the vegetarian burger because your your future is that you're going to be healthy. That's like, but you're not um, satisfying your your want for consumption now, like because you're like, oh, this isn't the best burger. It's not the ideal burger. That's that the that's so funny because now there's vegetarian burgers that are so good, comparable. And if good not, for the environment. If not better. And, yeah. And then there's also people that consume vegetarian not because of uh, health health reasons, but because ethically they feel like that's that's well, the I right thing to do. Well, I guess that's also a future thought for the environment. Well, it's more like trying to correct the errors of the past. I guess the ideal burger now would be one that tastes like a real burger, but that isn't 
environmentally impacting. You're not killing anybody. So right. a plant-based. It's grass. <laughs> so then nihilist is like the worst burger, McDonald's burger. Mm. Um, and then, or maybe that's hedonism because it's junk food burger. Nihilist is like somewhere in between. Like you're paying a little bit more, but doesn't taste good. But yeah, so I I love connections, and I like I mean that finding the relationships between that book and my book and the last book I read and the last book yeah all the books finding how how the lessons the like underpinnings of them intertwine yeah I love that shit it's everywhere mm-hmm. and that's like I get so much enjoyment out of finding those things and that's i think that's why i like writing too because through writing i find connections it's just so satisfying to know that it's all intertwined instead of having to focus on one thing and fixing that one thing it's like it's all part of it, everything so like when you're taking a little bit of time here and there to read all different kinds of things, you, it's all coming together. So let's all coming come together. together. <laughs> oh. I mean, we're in bed. <laughs> <laughs> and with that note, we're going to finish and finish. And come to a conclusion. Thank you for tuning in to episode three of Books in Bed. And we love you, and um, yeah, thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your day, week, year, sleepy ads.